Hello, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend Jakub. And before we get to the usual, or actually not as usual, because we're going to have some extra stuff from Vilnius for you. Before we get to that, uh, we need to cover two, two other topics. One of them is a listener question from Jan. Thanks again. And uh, it's uh, which challenger that doesn't exist, that isn't on the schedule anymore, do we miss the most? Do you have a, an, an answer for that? Yeah, I think mine uh, is, is sort of pretty obvious. It's a challenger that I've been to that I've covered that doesn't run anymore. And that was the Newport Beach Challenger, which was part of the Oracle series. Uh, I, I I was there, I think it was year one of the event. It was it was a great experience. It was a it was a joint event with the WTA one twenty five as as well. So there was always plenty of players on the grounds. The access was great. The weather was always amazing. They got in uh, a lot of fans in, into the grounds uh, with having basically free tickets. Which th that's why I was a bit <laughs> unsure of like how is this event keeping like going to keep running if there's like no income basically uh but i'm sure that there was plans to you know over time monetize it before oracle just pulled out of it altogether um but yeah it's, a, it's an event that i remember very fondly i got to interview sasha bublik i got to interview leander pace i got to do the women's draws somehow so it was <laughs> it was a lot of it was a lot of fun uh, and it is a shame that i won't be able to go back for it Yeah, mine will also be an event that I attended, and it's uh, the the one in Sopot. Uh, obviously, a pretty big, uh, you know, thing in the in Polish history was the Polish tennis history was the ATP event in that used to run in Sopot from 2001 and 2007. Rafa Nadal won his first title there, Gaël Monfils. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think even Robredo, Ferrer, like the list of winners was pretty crazy, Akasuso. And uh, and yeah, and then in 2018 and 2019, they revived the Challenger there. Uh, I uh, Well, in 2018, it was actually in, on a, in a different venue in Gdynia because of the, some disagreement with the organizers. But then in Sopot, and I enjoyed other both events, uh, you know, Uh, this was this was why I got into Challenger Tennis, and yeah, th this is why I'm sitting here right now, Monday, 2022, 9:38 9, a.m. <laughs> I'm sitting here doing uh, a podcast on the Challenger Tour, and, and it's probably because of these two events. So uh, these were the first two like non-Davis Cup uh, tennis uh, tournaments that I ever attended. Loved them. I was actually never like. Um, that they weren't as like part of the media or anything. I was I was just there as a regular viewer. Uh, in, in in the second edition, I went there with my father, so a lot of a lot of good memories from that that experience as well. He's always like, I want to go to another event, and I'm like. <laughs> You know, can I really go with you? Like when I'm, you know, right now doing some some press stuff there. It's, it, it, I would love to, but it's it's a little bit of a conflict. So that definitely uh, a lot of the nostalgia factor there. And in 2020, uh, not 2020, but 2021. The event was moved to Warsaw, which is okay. But, you know, I, I live in Gdańsk right now, which is in the same metropolitan area, and I wouldn't have to buy any accommodation. So I, I would love Sopot to still be there on the, on the schedule. Uh, but yeah, since, of course, the, the challenger in Warsaw has also disappeared and was turned into the WTA 250. And for me, that's not, not a good change for me. I would, I, would, I would love to have that event in Sopot back, but well, 
it's a shame because the club is also like barely well it's used for trainings but it, you know it's it's a great club that used to host an ATP tour event and now it's uh, well some tournaments I, I i think that some junior events or uh you know local events are host are, are hosted there but i think it deserves uh, a bigger event but sadly it's not going to get any anytime soon probably uh, anyhow, we also have uh, an exciting top 100 debut, right? Which didn't happen in a challenger, but... Yeah, Zhijian Zhang breaking the top 100, uh, becoming the first Chinese player to do so. Obviously, we spoke about this this uh, little competition that he had with, with Yi Bing Wu, who's going to get there first. It sort of feels inevitable for both of them. Um, but yeah, it didn't happen in the challenger. Uh, he got it with uh, his Naples quarterfinal run, uh, 57 points there. But, I mean, his season, if you look at his rankings breakdown, is very much based in challenges. He's got the Cordenos title, finals from Trieste, Gotis Mazowiecki, Ludenscheid, bunch, bunch of semifinals here as well. And, and when you look at the, the points that he's counting right now, there's a bunch of, like, two-point final qualifying round. So he has a lot of room to pack more points in there and go even further. Uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on him breaking the top 100 here? Yeah, he, he's not going to defend until like anything until like April, Mar. Uh, yeah, April is, is probably fair. A semifinal at Tallahassee. I didn't even remember he, he made that. Uh, but yeah, he, he doesn't start dropping like major points until June. So there's a lot of potential to go forward for sure. Uh, yeah, we didn't know if it's going to be Yiping or Zhang, but I, uh, that, that was what we sort of figured that, uh, Zhang being able to play a pretty much full schedule was going to be one of the factors, right? And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Yiping was only able to play two challengers since the US Open. One of them, he was still, uh, I think it was COVID related, uh, that, that he wasn't at his best. And Zhijian Zhang just played almost, you know, week, 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 week in, week out. Uh, he played, uh, three consecutive ATP 250s, uh, or actually even a 500 in Astana. And yeah, and that, that's what got him over the line. And obviously, actually doing well in them maybe not in florence where he was the lucky loser and uh and lost in round one but doing well in them winning three matches in astana four matches in in naples uh that's what got him over the line and obviously like we've talked about it many times before i think in terms of technique uh there's nothing really he doesn't do as well as other top other well as, as top 50 players it's just really about the mental side of the game that's uh, a little shaky with him of course and like shot selection it's being uh, a little smarter maybe in what he does on the court because right now he's just playing for very simple patterns and when this doesn't work he he kind of struggles but super excited to see him there and i actually think he should be a two level mainstay if he if he maintains this level because it's just yeah from from july onwards it's been it's been absolutely incredible yeah yeah i, I feel like i share that opinion of he can definitely get into the top 50 uh in this year that's that's upcoming can, can he stay there uh with with you know what once players start figuring him out what once coaches have more sort of film on him and stuff like that 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 is something that he will have to prove i think um but yeah certainly an exciting player to watch in, in 2023 and yeah. We can go, yeah, we can go over to our events. Do you want to start in Vilnius, the event you just attended? 
Yeah, I think that's what we usually do. It makes a lot of sense if if someone will just join for for you know for the interviews or uh, or just for the Vilnius talk. Then I think it makes a lot of sense to start there. Yeah, absolutely. And it was Mattia Bellucci winning the title over Cem Ilkel coming back from a set down one six six three seven five to win a second challenger title back to back titles after winning San Tropez. Uh, on his run here, he did, he did not drop a single set until the, until the final, beating Jules Marie, Nerman Fatic, Zdenik Kolaj, and Viktor Durasovic. Moves up 30 spots in the rankings, number 156. What did you think of Belucci this week? Yeah, uh, I guess we can just start with the interview. This is after his quarterfinal win uh, against uh, Zdenik Kolaj. So here you go. Uh, yeah, so you came here straight from Saint-Tropez, where you won your first challenger title. Could you tell me what this achievement meant to you? Yeah, it was uh, in Saint-Tropez an unbelievable tournament, like starting from the qualities and seven matches in a row. And uh, yeah, I was super happy at the final because it was my first challenger final and my, also my first semi-final and then my first uh, win. And uh, I played against uh, an Italian guy, which is my friend, and it was a very good final by my side. And uh, yeah, I came here and I felt a bit tired at the beginning. Now uh, every day in the morning is a bit tougher, but uh, but then in the afternoon I feel better. And that the, the fact that it's play- that I'm playing in the afternoon is is better than than in the morning. We've seen you do well on all surfaces this year: clay, indoor hard course, yeah. outdoor hard course. What's, what what do you, which course do you think suits your game the best? Uh, the best one is for sure uh, hard outdoor mm-hmm. uh, by like long distance, I think. But it's also so uh, since a long time that I was not playing indoor, because in last tournament indoor, I think it was for Lee of the last year challenger, my first challenger, and uh, yeah, but I'm pretty happy about how it's going the season, and I started with uh, with uh, like to try to to go into the first 450, and now it's going better. Yeah, and there's a lot of Italian guys like you, youngsters, trying to break through to the tour right now. Why do you think that happens? Like, what does your country do better than others? I don't know. I, th- I think the federation is doing a pretty good job, and uh, there are a lot, a lot of tournaments, and also a lot, a lot of, uh, of young players also that are super stimulated because we are a lot, mm-hmm. and it's super good to be to try to be one better than the other. And uh, yeah, now it's a super like super period for us, super year uh, by my side, by Mastrelli, Arnaldi, Nardi. There are so many that are playing super good, and uh, we are happy like this. Thank you, Manuel. And yeah, the, this achievement for Belucci is just absolutely incredible because he, well, before Saint-Tropez, he never had a challenger semi. He had that uh, quarterfinal against Vavasori that he choked uh, like heavily and then had to retire in the third set. And to go and win his first hardcore challenger and then his like third uh, indoor hardcore challenger, I think, in back to back. And th- these surfaces probably work for him better than Clay. We we talked a bit about it last time. You also just have just heard Bellucci talking about it himself, that he believes that on outdoor hardcourts he's by far the best. I read that at the beginning of, of the season, like his uh, his father, I think, was saying in an interview that uh, he's just learning to play on clay. So it, it really wasn't a natural surface for him, yet we didn't really see that on the Challenger Tour. Like he was doing so well that many people just assumed that he was like a clay court specialist, right? Like like most of the Italians. Um, yeah. 
Anyhow, that's clearly not the case. Uh, his serve was insane in, in Vilnius. You, it, it's not a big delivery, but he gets super nice angles with it. Uh, re- against Kolash, especially 93, I think, uh, first serve points won. Uh, that, that was pretty incredible. And of course, just playing 12, 12 wins in 14 days is, is an, uh, is an incredible achievement as well. You could see that, especially in the final. Uh, you also heard on the interview that he uh, was like felt progressively more tired in the mornings, but got better by the afternoons and was happy that he was getting like afternoon matches later on. And the final was at, uh, 1 p.m. So I wonder if that's played, you know, that, if that played a part in the fact that Bellucci was just incredibly gassed there because after the first set i was honestly certain that he was going to retire uh if he like goes down one six zero two it didn't happen he saved a couple of breakpoints at two two and then produced that uh, comeback uh, well it was actually both were unreturned serves but in the third set he was just ser- saving uh absurd breakpoints after one after another uh, but at 3-4, he double faulted to give Ilkel the chance to to serve for the match, which, yeah, as we know, it didn't pan out uh, that well. Uh, but but yeah, just a really titanic win for him in terms of mental strength, in terms of how much uh, fatigue he had to overcome. Uh, very exciting to watch live for sure. There's a lot of drop shots. There's a lot of drop shot lobs combinations. I actually think they got a little too predictable uh, in the final. Like uh, you could you could instantly see like a, a few times Ilka was running to the net for a drop shot and just instantly you know taking steps behind and you could know that uh, you, you just knew that uh Belucci was gonna lob him down the line he used that shot so many times this week and it really got too predictable which is something to to look at going forward i guess because at some point this week i was uh, ready to say that Mattia Belucci has a top 10 lob <laughs> or something like that but after the final i'm not so sure anymore maybe maybe it's just that you know just that one uh particular direction choice that he and of course the the wing that he that he nailed uh but anyhow yeah very exciting because he has like 150,000 different game plans and can really you know with, with the forehand slicing with the backhand slicing there's there's you know he never really gives you the same ball at, the, at least he tries not to uh i have no clue if that is something that will be extremely valuable at tour level but then again you look at players like maybe Mute, who of course has a much more uh, off-base style, uh, much weirder, but still Bellucci has like the bigger weapons. I, I, I think it's just really believable at this point that Mattia Bellucci is going to be like a top 100 player. And a couple of months back, we probably were, wouldn't be wouldn't be saying this. And and yeah, that that was a pretty insane run. And I'm happy that I got that I was there to to watch uh, a very exciting new talent, sort of in the making. Uh, as I think the, the 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 runs in Saint Tropez and Vilnius collectively are are definitely like the the breakthrough for Bellucci. Definitely. I mean, uh, the, the the clay play, the, the, the clay results were definitely interesting, but for him to take this next le- next level, next step on, on hard and indoor hard, it shows you that he really is a threat on, on all surfaces. Even clay, if, even if he's just learning it, uh, if, if he's just learning it now, then it's going to be really exciting uh, to see where he can go with it. Um, but yeah, for sure, a very exciting player to watch as well. 
Uh, Cem Ilkel made the final here, a bit of a surprise since we haven't seen much of him this season. Uh, he started in qualifying to make his sixth challenger final, first one this season. He beat Weisse Potenza in qualifying to get to the main draw, then Arnaldi 6-3-6-2, uh, Valkus in a, in a third set, Locoli in straight set, and Dana Dead in straight sets as well, moving up 100 spots, number 316. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Chemilka and his and his sort of first big run this season? Yeah, we mentioned last uh, him last week as like a potential player who could go far from the qualifying, but I don't think we pictured this exactly. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, it turns out that his injury, well, we, what we thought was an injury layoff, he was actually away for personal reasons. And maybe we can start with the interview with, where he doesn't really talk about it. And then I'll, yeah, then I'll, <laughs> I'll introduce it. Uh, anyhow, here we go. I thought it was a good match, to be honest. I think we both started a bit slow because I think we were both serving good in the, in the beginning and then we couldn't get our rhythms. And then I tried to stay with him because he hits the ball very hard. So I tried to weather the storm and stay with him, stay with him. I knew I would get some chances and I was looking at him. It's been a long week, actually. Fifth match tomorrow is the sixth one. Hopefully my leg, my legs will be okay tomorrow. But I'm feeling very good. I like the court. I like the atmosphere. Everything is very easy here. You take an elevator and you go to the room. The restaurant is over there, so it's perfect for the players. You were unable to compete in many tournaments this year. Had a lot of months where you had to be away from the courts. Could you talk a bit about why? Um, I had to stay with my family for a while. Uh, yeah, I had to stay with my family. Uh, yeah, and as as you heard, he just sort of. I actually had to. Sorry, but I had to cut down like some of the questions because this was this was the only interview. Like I I came up to him with some guy from the tournament, so uh, you know, not not planning to like. I, I don't even know his name honestly, so um, I don't even have a way to uh, to ask him uh, whether he would agree for me to you know to put his questions in the in the recording. So I'm just gonna cut them out to avoid any uh, lawsuits and rights issues. Of course, he would lose it us. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah, I asked Ilka about the why he was away and his reaction, like just saying that he had to stay with family, like told me that there's probably something more there. And I actually, when when I, you know, when I tried to find something about this earlier, I couldn't. But when I tried to find it, knowing that there's there has to be something unusual, I instantly got a hit on Google. And apparently, his sister died in a car crash in uh, April, I think, definitely this spring. <laughs> Uh, she was also like training tennis. She was uh, actually, I, I think, uh, with some Turkish officials going to Bulgaria or from Bulgaria. So uh, a really terrible thing has simply happened. He was at some tournament and just rushed home. Uh, so yeah, that, that's why he wasn't playing this year. It wasn't an injury, uh, but still a tremendous physical feat because, well, he just had no much practice like at all this year. <laughs> And and to get here, uh, win six matches, and you know, put himself in a position to win the final was excellent. Of course, he yeah he choked it big time because at five three, I think up until this point uh, that you know serving uh, having the chance to serve it out, I think he had two double faults or something like that, and then. In four consecutive points, he made three of them. One of them was was the match point, the only match point that he had in the final. Uh, then the five five game was not pretty at all. He was actually like almost saved by a terrible call from the from the chair umpire, 
who well well the ball was clearly out and uh it was called like that by the by the line but then he chose to overrule and also give the point to Ilkel because he thought that you know the call didn't interrupt Bellucci so it, it was really just a robbery <laughs> in plain sight uh so Ilkel was almost almost helped there but even even with that he made like another df he he just yeah, he, he just couldn't take it. He he got very tight when it got close, which was interesting because, uh, well, for the most part, I think his, the final was played excellently by him. He like he, he played with a lot more control than in the previous matches. He has that big big serve, big forehand, of course, but some of the some of the previous wins he couldn't really construct points with it. And here he was just uh, yeah he made sure that Balucci was having to work super hard for every point. Made sure that nothing was free for Balucci, and it was the right tactic. It was the right call. He just couldn't serve it out. Uh, but yeah, after after this year, after a, a personal tragedy, apparently as well, it's it's extremely huge for him to win six matches here and go to the final. He actually fell down to world, world numbers 416 before this week. Right now he jumped as 100 spots, but I think he's still defending a final from Bergamo later. So uh, yeah, so that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty. Um, important for him of course not having much practice not not playing much in 2022 definitely contributed to the fact that he wasn't mentally ready to take this one yeah yeah i mean it's it's a very tragic story and it makes you really think about how tennis players on this level are more or less expected to play year-round uh and and how difficult of a financial decision must have been to to take that time out but but i'm glad that he did it uh instead of trying to play through such such a like mentally difficult uh occasion um but yeah very very glad to see him back we can go over to our uh, to our semifinalists, starting with Dan Adead, uh, who got a couple of very impressive wins this week, uh, beating Mats Rosenkrantz, Richard Berankis, and Lukasz Klein to reach his first challenger semifinal. Only a second quarterfinal on this level. What did you think of the Frenchman? Uh, yeah, and I, I have to mention this. It's sort of related to Adonadet, but I, it's hilarious how in some uh, languages uh, people like change the the surnames of people from other countries or first names uh, very much. Like in in Czech, I, I don't know. It, it's is it in Slovakia like that as well that uh, you know they would do a Halepova or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's super funny. And uh, the the announcer in Vilnius was uh, adding that to first names like Danas Adet, for example, or Cemas Ilkel, which is uh, yeah, it's excellent. Uh, he wasn't doing that with Bellucci, for example. So I think maybe when it uh, ends in a consonant, then they add something, and when it ends uh, when it ends with a vowel, they don't. I don't know. It's sort of unrelated, but I, I knew I had to mention it at some point in this episode. Yeah, Dan Adet was clearly very, uh, very much the shock of the week. I mean, beating Berankis, I wouldn't say I expected it. Uh, I guess we will uh, we'll mention I will mention that uh, a little bit later when we have a short interview with Berankis. Uh, but the point is that 
uh, well, he, he wasn't really physically ready for this, I think. But beating Klein was just insane. Uh, I, you had Klein as the winner, uh, as your winner pick this uh, in this event. And I thought, you know, by the time we reached the quarterfinals, Berankis and Mahach were out. Klein just seemed like such a huge favorite to take this. Obviously, he was, uh, Adet was a huge underdog against both Berankis and Klein. Uh, yeah. Um, he was definitely returning extremely well. He also played, like he has a very basic game, but he executes it well. He played some very good attacking points against Klein as well. And the serve is definitely something that I never uh, really enjoyed watching on stream. But when I saw it live, both here and in, in Kozerki, it's, uh, it's it's just really underrated. It, it does a lot more damage than you'd think. And, and I think that's also why he's pretty good indoors. And yeah, th this was definitely the best run of his career so far. So um, am I excited to see what he does with it? I don't know. He he, he is a bit bland to watch, honestly. Uh, so I, I wasn't too happy with the fact that he beat Klein. Otherwise, uh, you know, I, I was happy that he ruined your prediction. Of course, the competitive gene in me turned on at that point. Uh, but also, yeah, yeah, he just had an excellent week all around, really done at it, and also also reached the final in doubles, which we're gonna talk about later. So, uh, so yeah. Our other semifinalist was Viktor Durasovic, uh, who beat Tomasz Machac to, to delay the the Czech's top one hundred debut. Then also came back from a set down against Marchenko, beat Escoffier 6 1 6 1, uh, before eventually losing to Bellucci. Only a second career challenger semi final, first one coming in 2019 in August in Portoroz, where he went all the, all the way to the final there. Uh, what did you think of Durasovic? Yeah, and I guess we can start with the interview. This is also after his quarter final win against uh, Escoffier. Uh, so let's let's go. Um, yeah, so congratulations, of course, and I suspect that you weren't expecting to be off the court in 45 minutes today, so what did you, what did you think about the match? Uh, I think I played well, but uh, I'm not sure, maybe my opponent wasn't feeling too good with his uh, arm or something, I don't know, because uh, it was kind of strange, you know, to, to be finished so quick, but, uh, you know, anyway... A win is a win, so looking forward to for tomorrow. You started this tournament with a fantastic win over Mahaj. Do you think that was like one of the best matches that you played in your career, or was it great but not quite that good? Uh, I wouldn't say the best of my life, but uh, but a very good one. Okay, uh, this is your second challenger semi-final. The last one you won, of course, in Portoros. What will it mean for you to get back into into a final game after after three years? Uh, well, it would be nice. Obviously, uh, my ranking is dropping also now, so uh, at least now I, I'm uh, maybe going to climb just a little bit back up, but uh, I don't know, I try not to think about it too much, I just want to to do as good of a tournament as I can, and, uh, and that's it. And the last thing, I read an interview with you from a couple of years back where you said that in Norway there's no tennis culture, and that besides you and Kasper Ruth there was pretty much no one trying to become a professional tennis player. Has that changed at all since this, or is, do you think this is going to improve now that Kasper is making some finals? Um, I mean, I've seen a little bit of um, a bit of improvement. Uh, you know, you see like younger kids, they, they start to train a little bit differently. 
as as uh, as opposed to what it was like before. And they are kind of trying to teach the kids to be more professional from a younger age. And uh, I think now slowly you might see like a few better juniors coming up. So I think it's uh, yeah, hopefully improving. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, as you heard, uh, the match against Escofia was like 45 minutes long. Uh, he he called it kind of strange, and, and or, or something like that. And yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I didn't didn't expect it. Escofia looked great in the in the first rounds. Maybe he wasn't feeling well physically. I don't know. He I never asked for the trainer, but just anything he tar- tar- touched was just turning into you know what uh, it's maybe one of these days uh, but anyhow yeah D- Durasovic I think just ball striking wise he he really has a very nice game the forehand can be huge it, it, I think it's a lot of depends on his con- uh, confidence there because against Mahaj for example he just came out and played ballsy tennis all around no break points faced against a guy who is on the verge of breaking the top 100 uh just absurd level really and uh, and yeah and, and you know he can do it uh he's shown it on multiple occasions in the past but yet he was like at like uh 390 something in the rankings uh before this week uh and yeah i i think in the long run it's very possible that he will get a challenger title at some point because he really has the game to do it uh i would i would love to see him like grant some qualifying or something uh and and you could many times you can really see how uh you know the, the level of his confidence determines his play because the match against marchenko was just you you could see that he is already thinking about the quarterfinals or the semis because he was just <laughs> Um, yeah, that that was, by the way, like if we were to choose one of the worst matches of the week, I don't, I, I, I could, I could even choose it. Like both guys were so tight, and yeah, the Durasovic from the Mahach match is is at like a top ten, top two hundred player for sure. But the Durasovic we saw against Marchenko is is clearly not, and that's really the story of of the Norwegian's career so far, I guess. And yeah, and against Bellucci, he was actually pretty close to a win. I think if it wasn't for Matia saving like a hundred hundred times, thousand breakpoints, I can't remember how many of them uh, were there, like maybe eight or something. I'm pulling up the stats right now. Seven, yeah, seven out of seven. And if it wasn't for that, it surely could have gone, could have gone free. All right. We also had Lauren Locoli at the seven, making the quarterfinals by beating Ramanathan and Lyle. Uh, he also broke the top 200 now for the first time in his career, I believe, number 198 now. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pretty interesting season. He obviously dominated on the on the futures, then the, the switch to challenges has been, uh, you know, not 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 amazing. He won semi two quarters uh, in the sort of second half of the season, but yeah, you you spoke to him. What did he say? Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's put the interview on. I think this is uh, this is probably the most interesting one this week because he gave a, like a very very detailed answer. So uh, let's go. So do you generally like playing against certain players because your return was very effective, not giving him you know any easy goals? Well, um, normally I return pretty pretty well, but uh, I have to give credit to him because he was serving big. He didn't make like uh, a lot of mistakes on the volley. I had to make like a lot of big returns. He was uh, he was pushing me. Was me. Was making pressure. But uh, no, I I did a couple of good returns and I I managed to break him in the, in the second set. And I think he 
he helped me that helped me to, to be a bit more like relaxed and because uh, I was in front in the score so it was it was better uh, you've had a fantastic year career high ranking five ITF titles do you think there's any particular reason why you're playing much better now than in, in your centers well I would, I would say that uh, First, I'm not, I'm not alone doing this. You know, mm -hmm. I have a big, uh, big structure um, with me uh, in Marseille. So credit to my uh, my two tennis coaches, uh, my physical trainer, also the my physios because there is a there is I have three physios that they are taking mm -hmm. care of me, and of course my family and my friends that they are always like backing me up. So I think uh, this year also. Uh, I, my body letting me play uh, as much as I wanted and uh, that's also a big key for me because the, the, the previous years I was injured a lot and uh, I was struggling a lot. I also had like uh, some mental uh, mental issues. It was, uh, I had like uh, hard moments, uh, so I had to fight against the, against that also because it was uh, it was hard. It was hard, you know, when you are like uh, far away from the courts. You know that you, you didn't give the, the best of yourself during many years because you, I was struggling a lot. So I think this year I managed to to put everything together, and I'm happy that the, yeah the season is going uh, is going good. It's uh, it's a good year, but uh, I'm far away from uh, where I want to go. And uh, maybe lastly, because you managed to also because of your results earlier in the year, you managed to get a qualifying wildcard for Roland Garros. Obviously, you had some very memorable matches in the past. So, how did it feel to you know, be back there after five years? I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the last year that I was there, obviously, it didn't went well because I had some uh, some issues at the end of the game. But Roland uh, Garros, like I always say, it's the Uh, my favorite tournament, I think, because it's uh, it's in France, and I have so many so many fans there that they are supporting like all the French players. So obviously, yeah, it's uh, it was uh, it was a great memory, and it was uh, it was really it was emotional, emotional to to be back there, uh, feeling like uh, part of the of this like the I would say the ceremony because for me it's a big ceremony, mm -hmm. Roland Garros, and uh, uh, to be with the with the guys and competing, and it was a uh, really good. Unfortunately, I didn't manage to to win the first round. I uh, would have loved to, to make it, but uh, but yeah, I after that I, I I loved also my reaction because after I came back in the futures where no one was watching and I managed to to be in the final and to win another one. So I think also this year, yeah, mentally I'm I'm pretty strong and I think that made the, the difference. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I I think he was already in the top 200, like. Uh, Yeah, a couple months, uh, a couple weeks back, he was 199. Not that, not that oh, okay, really matters. Okay. Yeah, yeah not that. because of the new career hiring. Yeah, 198. Uh, I, I actually thought he was at, at 198 before, but 199. Anyway, anyhow, yeah. Uh, this is a very interesting story, of course, because at 27, he suddenly starts overperforming or all his previous results. We've seen it on multiple occasions this year. Guys like Fatih Escoffier, even in, in, Vilnius, in the Vilnius draw, of course, Lestien, Kachin. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, as, as you could hear, he, he believes that he, uh, well, has, has a big team, has a big base around him right now. And that's really helping also the, the fact that mentally he's much stronger and also the, the, you know, the, the body allowing him to play. 
from from watching him live because honestly uh yeah as you mentioned when he got to the challengers he didn't really have a game as explosive as we think looking at his itf results uh i i really enjoyed him like in terms of uh being smart on the court good shot selection for sure um you you could see that experience for sure against lyle as well in the in the second round and uh Perhaps, perhaps again, uh, he he wasn't really a threat to win this challenger. Uh, but if he keeps playing the tour, it, it the the opportunity might uh, might arise at some point. He just didn't have a good day at the office against Ilka, really. But other than that, uh, I I really enjoyed watching him live, and I think I will do that more on the stream as well from now on because I simply have a, a better grasp on, on on his game right now which which is also honestly why I went to Vilnius because the the entry list wasn't as exciting but since it's pretty close I thought you know I'm, I'm gonna watch some players and just know more and yeah I went there for knowledge and I hope I got, I got some <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's always great to go to an event. It really, you know, it it, it informs it a, 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 like your opinions of the players yeah. a lot more in a much more sort of solidifying way than you than when you just watch them on a the stream. Uh, we also want to talk about Mark Lyal, nineteen uh, year old who made the main draw of qualifying, but with wins over Bobrov and Hemery. In the main draw, he beat Terence at man and when uh, when I set up against locally before losing one six uh, three uh, six one three six love six. What did you think of Lyle? Yeah, a uh, very exciting prospect. Honestly, he won a couple of fifteen k's this year. I think uh, works at the the Muratoglu Academy. Actually, let's let's just go with the interview now. Uh, so this is already a very satisfying challenger debut, I suppose. And how how do you feel about your performance so far? Well, I feel really good about performance so far. I feel like I've played three, three, three solid matches. I mean, uh, as, it, as it is my first experience, uh, I'm trying to tour, you know, at the start I was a bit nervous, you know. But at the same time, I was really excited and uh, I feel like I've, I've played some good tennis last few days and I'm planning to continue. Uh, you've been training at the Muratoglu Academy for a while now. Could you tell me something on how it helped your de- development? Uh, the facilities there are really good and uh, there's uh, a lot of good players to play with. So, and I mean, I started there like four and a half years ago and I found the coach that I still am with and we clicked together and I think he's helped me a lot. My coach has been really essential in my progression and uh, I think the second biggest part is the fitness. The fitness there is really good, so these two things are helping us. And lastly, this is the only challenger, the, the first ever challenger in Lithuania. Do you think a similar event in your country would really help you, but also the other Estonian talents like Pam Grinka? For sure, for sure. I think, uh, I think uh, it would really, really help our players. I think it would also... It would help our players advance in rankings, it would give them experience. Uh, I think if we could do it in our country, it would be really, really good. Thank so, you. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh... Also, one of the guys I, I really am happy that I saw live in Vilnius because if it if it wasn't for that, you know, maybe I would have watched the match on stream. Maybe not. I don't know. There, there were five challenger events this this week, uh, but but I definitely like knew him just from his name. Uh, you know, because he's one of the the few Estonian guys climbing up from the juniors, like Glinka, Tam, Lyle. Lyle definitely seems the more, uh, well, the most uh, interesting one of the of the three. Uh, as you said, he he claimed three straights at wins. This was his challenger debut, not not only major but also qualifying. 
won the first set against Locoli super convincing, convincingly, then the nerves finally got to him. But yeah, uh, and a very aggressive mindset. Uh, cool to watch as well, very pumped up on the court. Uh, and I can't wait to see what he does from here, although I think he's already lost to Baby Zhukayev in Brest qualifying. Not a bad loss by any means, of course. Uh, but yeah, uh, going forward, this is definitely a guy that we should be paying a lot more attention to. And it's going to be easier uh, because, well, he, he got into the top 500 recently and should be uh, should be appearing more and more in, 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 the, in the events of this at, at this level. He also beat Dana Dead like a month ago, for example. So, yeah, he, he, he's uh, he's taken out challenger players before in, in ITF events and yeah, this run shouldn't really be shocking, but definitely the level, uh, the level he played that was pretty insane. And if he kept up that, um, you know, that that first set that he had against Locoli, he he really could have gone even much deeper in this one. Of course, we can't talk about this event without talking about Richardas Beranki. It's probably one of the main reasons why this <laughs> event was was ultimately organized as the biggest Lithuanian player, I believe, in, in history. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, that, unless you count Gerulaitis, but other than that, he's their only top 50 guy. Yeah. Uh, th- this week he beat uh, Sabayowskas in the first round, a uh, 20 prospect before losing to Dana Dead. Uh, but you spoke to him. What did he say? Yeah, let's let's maybe start with the interview simply. Yeah. This is the first time you got to play a challenger in your country, also in your hometown. So, what were the emotions for you coming out in the court? It's, it's great, you know, the first time challenger in Lithuania. So, so it's uh, yeah, it's a great feeling, you know. It's a great arena, great facilities. Everybody is happy. I am happy to be able to play here, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good emotion. Uh, is it true that you wanted to finish your season early, but decided to return only for this? No, those are rumors, you know that. You know, I don't know how it would have been, so maybe other people know better than me, you know, so I don't know. And how do you think this event could help in the future, uh, you know, the future Lithuanian generations, also the guys that you that we already see here this week, like here? I think it's, doing, it's a great idea to have Challenger here because, as you see, we have decent good players for Challenger level, you know, so, okay, bad luck that two Lithuanians played today against each other, but uh, yesterday one of them won. One of them lost in a tough match, you know. I thought uh, Galbas could do in a better result if some things would work out in the second set. Who knows? Maybe he would have won in three sets, you know. So yeah, I think it's great for the young generation to be able to see and feel the emotion of the challenger event at home. Uh, yeah, um, I mean it's it's great that he got a, got to play a challenger in his hometown. That's that's definitely you know has to be a big mo- moment for him personally, and he he also spoke about it. Um, it's it's fantastic for Lithuanian tennis, which uh, gets like it has a lot of very decent juniors now. Like honestly, all of the guys that played were performed at a level above their rankings, I think. Uh, the guy that, that uh, Berankis played, Sabaliauskas, uh, very like t- tall lefty with a, with a big game. He actually made Berankis work for it as well, uh, even though it didn't seem like he could. Uh, both the, the Lithuanians, uh, you know, the 17-year-old the, the Vilius Gaubas, uh, whom we mentioned last week, is coached by Garcia Lopez and Edas Butfilas, who's coached by uh, Ivan Navarro. I, I don't think Navarro was uh, was there, although maybe I just don't remember. You know, maybe I don't remember how he looks after all these years. 
but Garcia Lopez was of course there playing playing doubles with Galbas as well. Uh, both these guys are super exciting as well. So if this event stays on the calendar, and apparently in February there's going to be another uh, challenger in Vilnius, and it's going to be a 100. Uh, oh. I think all of these guys can really benefit from that, and and yeah, that 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 would be huge for for the progress of Lithuanian tennis, which hasn't been uh, that you know they never. I I don't think they ever had this many interesting juniors. Um, in the past so so yeah as as you said Berankis is is definitely the the highest ranked the most accomplished Lithuanian player ever uh this week I thought I think he just wasn't ready for this at all it's been a tough season for him a lot of injury breaks not really playing that much recently and I think it it just showed instantly even watching him against Sabaliauskas like I I knew that this is this this doesn't look like a guy who will beat Klein or Tervalia in the quarterfinals he didn't even end up getting there like I thought he maybe has a chance with Klein if Klein has one of this ma- these matches where he just sprays errors, but Travalia just seemed unbeatable for him, honestly. Uh, and and that's mostly due to physical reasons, of course, and not really, just not being in his rhythm. But certainly a, a cool fact, uh, well, certainly a, a cool thing for us to have Ricardas Berankis on the show, sort of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. He also played in doubles, but with the one uh, Lithuanian prospect who won around Budvilas, he beat Niklas in the singles. They they beat Kolaj and, and Sharan before being taken out by uh, Jacopo Berrettini and, and Potenza. And you also spoke to Jules Marie, uh, who qualified past Tabur and Erel uh, and lost to Belucci. Yeah, uh, I got to read, like, I, I knew that he has, like, a YouTube channel. I never really watched it, uh, but I got to read, like, I started reading a lot on his story th- this week. And, yeah, that's also why I'm, I am glad I got there, because otherwise I don't think I would have ever had the had the patience, like, to, to just look through this and, uh, you know, try to try to get to know something on the topic. Um, and yeah, the, the guy was for a few years basically just playing exhibitions, league tennis. And uh, then after winning the Cannes Open in December, uh, the exhibition event where he beat like Humbert, Goffin, someone else I, I can't remember that, uh, right now, but just, just a crazy field of players. He decided that maybe it's time to you know, produce a comeback. And because he has a YouTube channel, which has like 76,000 subscribers, I think it's all in French, but most of the new videos have, um, well, most of the new videos have, uh, subtitles. So, uh, bef- because he has this, he thought of crowdfunding, uh, because, well, money problems were why he didn't pursue tennis in the past. And, uh, well, he thought of crowdfunding. He had one. Uh, campaign, then another one to get him to uh, for people to help him get into Roland Garros 2023 qualifying. That's the goal for him. Maybe let's uh, let's put the interview on now. Uh, so you've built yourself a very nice personal brand with the YouTube channel. Uh, did you experience, did you think that you were going to have such success with it when you first started publishing videos? No, 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 not at all. First of all, it was my brother who uh, made the video during the lockdown. And then it was me and him, and then only me. So no, we didn't expect anything, just to giving some advice to people. And 
this year you had a couple of crowdfunding campaigns, one of them to get you into Roland Garros qualifying 2023. Is that like a final objective for you, meaning that if you don't make it, then you're going to quit? Yes, uh, it's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know, I, I will see, but uh, I feel good right now. I love what I'm doing with the YouTube channel, Instagram and everything. So even if I don't succeed to Roland Garros, I think I will continue for sure. You have uh, the guy with you and equipment as well, so I take it we're gonna have some videos content and on the YouTube channel as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. You 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 will be part of the content channel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that. But okay. Yeah, uh, I actually even might be, uh, I'm not sure if you heard that, but I might even uh, appear in one of the episodes, it seems like, because the he, he travels with a cameraman. And uh, when I was uh, talking to him, he came up and like did a shot or something. I have, I have no clue if that will make the cut or not, but, but yeah, we laughed about it. Anyhow, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic story, I think, in terms of whether he has much chances of doing it. You know, the, the game isn't really anything exceptional. Uh, he sort of reminds me of Palivo in that he hits with uh, with like very long back swings, isn't really, like has a, has a pretty nice all-round skill set, but not really something exceptional to, uh, well, to um, give, him, give him points consistently. He used to be the world number two, 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 228 in the past. Getting to that ranking would get him into Ron Garros qualifying. They might give him a wild card as well. But I think you know he'd need to do something like uh, like Lauren Locoli did this year to to really earn it at at the age of thirty one especially right. Uh, so um, certainly a storyline to follow. He lost to Calvin Emery in Brest qualifying already this week. I I don't think it's it's really doable. But as you said, he even if he doesn't make it, he started enjoying his life. All the all the social media stuff that he does enough that he's actually going to uh, yeah that that he's actually going to continue even if he doesn't make Ron Garros qualifying. Amazing story. I wish the game was as amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story for sure. He he, he did he did get some decent wins on the ITF tour this this season over you know Escoffier, Aded, Bouillon, Jacote. Uh, although no titles, which, which which is the most important thing in him trying to accumulate these points going forward. Uh, but we'll see where it goes. In the doubles, Arnaldo and Weisbord won the title after reaching a final last week, and they beat Dan Aded and Aribaj for Aded his fifth challenger final already in twenty twenty two. Uh, yeah, so maybe one last thing, uh, because I forgot to mention it when I was talking about Gaubas and Butfilas, just wanted to say that while Butfilas is probably the well, the, the, the guy with the better game right now, uh, he's super solid, definitely fought extremely well against Escofia in the second set. Uh, I think going forward, Gaubas is probably more exciting because of the forehand that he has. That's, that's like really uh, a legit weapon. Butfilas doesn't really have it. <laughs> And yeah, we'll see, but certainly, yeah, having more challengers in Vilnius or in Lithuania as a whole, although I believe that, that Vilnius is probably going to be the, the only one uh, capable of hosting such an event, uh, this, this would definitely help them. Uh, and by the way, the when it comes to like the facilities, they were excellent, like everything is in the same building, the hotel, the restaurant, uh, players basically do not have to go anywhere, which is, which is fantastic for them. Uh, not that they're lazy, but you know, uh, that really helps. And, uh, as, yeah, uh, the, the, the facilities are, are, are great. Uh, the attendance, 
no, during the weekend it was fine, but during weekdays, not really. Uh, you could that there were even matches on center court when there were like five people, and pretty much no one was attended the was attending the action on court seventeen, which was the the second court. Uh, I'm not sure if that was uh, because they couldn't find it, or maybe because they couldn't re- they didn't really care. Um, it it wasn't super clear where it is. Like I don't I don't think it was really clear. Uh, there was a graph though posted on on social media like a couple of days before, uh, and that's how I knew where court number one and center court were going to be. Uh, well, court number seventeen, but you know number one in the sense that it was the second court. So maybe they couldn't find it. I don't know. But in terms of attendance, it yeah, it, during the week it it, it definitely lacked. But I, I didn't even look at the prices, honestly, but uh, a Lithuanian on, I think he's Lithuanian. Yeah, he has to be Lithuanian. On, on tennis Twitter, uh, Tennis Master, I think is his nickname. He told me that uh, the the prices were just not really well. Uh, for, for most people, they they seemed uh, they seemed a little extreme. So maybe that's the reason. Yeah, but we can get to anything else we have right now. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go over to Busan, where it was the the biggest event of the week, where Kamil Michalczak won the title over Radu Albot six four three six six two, his fourth challenger title. Uh, this week, he started with a very strong win over Maximum Metterer, 3-1, then also beat Medjedovic in straight sets, took out my pick, uh, Sun Wukwon, 7-5 in the third, before also beating O'Connell and then Albot. He moves up 22 spots, number uh, 82, uh, returns to the top 100 after, I think it was only a couple of weeks away, really. But what did you think of Michael Jack this week? Yeah, uh, a pretty incredible run because of the quality of the of the field. Uh, four guys who were or are in the top 100 plus Medvedovic who will be <laughs> if he if he gets his fitness right at some point. Uh, of course, uh, the the win against Kwon was shaky, and you can you know Maxhak is playing so well in recent weeks, but he still struggles to close out sets matches. He's just playing well enough to eventually get the wins anyway, which is great. Uh, in in a couple of weeks he basically changed the like the perception of his season as a whole because right now he clinched the top 100 a top 100 finish he clinched uh uh an australian open main draw spot uh so that's that's really all he needed to do at the end of the season uh he gets back to like an almost career high ranking uh, which is which is fantastic i picked him a week too early <laughs> I didn't think after going to the semis last week, maybe he was going to win the title here. Again, he had trouble finishing it. He was leading 6-4-3-0 against Albot and lost the next six games. He's just incredible like that, you know, that that with still with, with these sort of mental issues, he's still capable of, of winning this uh, a title like that. A 125 as well. Uh, I don't think any of his previous challengers were 125s. <laughs> Uh, Ostrava and Sandbria definitely weren't. Maybe Prostejov in 2020. I think Anduhar played it too. Uh, I'm not sure. It was probably like a 100. Uh, so, so definitely huge for him. And yeah, uh, to to secure that Australian Open major spot, especially and the top 100 finish is is exactly what I wanted him to do, and he he, he delivered on that. Yeah, and our finalist uh, Albert made his 16th Challenger final. 
Uh, it was his first final loss since October 2017 in Suzhou because he won his last four finals coming into Busan. Uh, his road was much more easier than, than Michael Jack, uh, beating Tunglin Wu, then getting uh, second set retirements from Delor and Pomans before beating Siongchun uh, Hang. Uh, who will we'll definitely talk about. He was a surprise of the week. Uh, up four spots, number 81. Uh, yeah, what do you think didn't, didn't work for him in that final against Michael Jack? Um, I think when, when Kami is playing this well, he just doesn't really have the ability to hit through him. And that's mostly a problem. Uh, like, Michael Jack is just... Well, he, I, I guess if you if you were to call his playstyle some way, it would be like counter-ish. And he can easily counter anything Albot throws at him. And I think that's just really not a good matchup for him. Uh, yeah, and as you said, a couple of retirements on the way. Com- like Mike Shack's uh, run compared to Albot's is just a little bit of a joke for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, Hong, who made the semifinals as a lucky loser, started with beating Anne, lost to Purcell, 7-6-6-love. Uh, then he beat last week's champion Lee Two in six one in the third, got wins over Yun Seung Chung, and then uh, also beat John Millman seven five in the third. Uh, moves up ninety six points number three hundred seventy four. He had never been past the second round of a of a challenger before. What did you think of Hong in his run here? Yeah, he was actually a number two ranked junior, which I had no idea about. Absolutely, I, I had no idea about that at all. Yeah. Oh. And somehow we're here, and you could see that. I mean, he's got a decent game, but it's just not really pro ready. I know he's twenty five; <laughs> it's probably never going to be. But he just doesn't have any, uh, you know, any point winning engines, and you can see that in every match he plays uh, against Albot. It was like the Spider Man meme because they both had identical kids and. Even the strokes they have, like they, they aren't too dissimilar, but Albot had that. It's not even a tiny bit. Albot just had a lot more pace on his strokes. And it was why he won that, that, that final, uh, semi final. And yeah, I don't know if it's repeatable, uh, but certainly pretty fun to see. It, it, it was pretty fun to see this guy beat Milman, especially as he was cramping so hard in the first set. And yet he got over the line. And yeah, as from from what I said, you uh, you have to know that well, Hong against Milman is a very physical matchup. So despite the yeah. cramping, he had to do a lot of grinding. Yeah, our other semifinalist was O'Connell, who beat Mukund, uh, Ji Sung Nam, and Chris Eubanks in three sets. His fourth semifinal in 2022, three challengers, one ATP. What did you think of O'Connell this week? Yeah, I think he got into the in the top 100 as well. Um, yeah. Just, he had that uh, pretty terrible loss to Stina, I think, in Gwangyu. I think at mm-hmm. this point, a player of O'Connell's caliber losing to Stina on hard courts is still, is still pretty terrible. But he was also recovering from some health issues there. But other than that, he he seems to be really excelling in this in these uh, outdoor hardcore events in like the States or uh, or South Korea, you know, Asia. Uh, that, that's really where he plays his best. And, and at least of late, because obviously when he was making that, uh, that breakthrough, he also had a number of good runs on clay. I guess even this year he won. 
split. So what am I, what am I even talking about? Yeah, he, he he's done. Uh, you know, he's done some good work this year to get that top 100 debut. It's all a little bit. No, it's it's not too flashy. He hasn't been really, you know, killing it or anything. Uh, but just yeah, progressively proving that that 2019 uh, rise in the rankings that he had is certainly not an accident in any way, and that he's here to stay at that sort of fringe ATP challenger level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the doubles, we had a pretty exciting final. Paul Mans and Purcell won their first title together, uh, coming back from 5-8 down in the final uh, super tiebreak with 12-10. And they beat Jisoo Nam and Song, uh, their third final this season already for Nam and Song. We can go over to Ambato, where you got your first point of the week with Facundo Bagnis winning the title over João Lucas Reis da Silva, 7664. Bagnis' 16th challenger title, second one this season, both on altitude or in altitude. Um, this altitude, week... maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, he, he, he was very high up in, in both of those. Uh, beat Arklon Huertas del Pino in straight sets before beating Milojevic, uh, Santiago Rodriguez Taverna. A very tough semifinal against Tirante, third set tiebreaker. Uh, up 15 spots to number 99, back in the top 100 for the first time since May for Bagnis. What did you think of him this week? Well, um, there's a website and like it says like everything works. I don't know. Um, well, I don't really. Uh, maybe 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 I didn't look at it right because it 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 clearly like had um, some different meanings of the phrase. Anyhow, never mind. Uh, we'll we'll just uh, yeah. <laughs> As you said, he was he was high up. Uh, Bagnis, yeah, it, it's a little surprising, I guess, that he won both his challenger <laughs> titles this year on altitude. At altitude, <laughs> yeah, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm gonna overthink it, and uh, but but it makes sense. He's got a pretty decent serve. Uh, certainly had to beat a couple of uh, a couple of really quality players here. Tirante, who's excellent on altitude, <laughs> Rodriguez Taverna, uh, and uh, and yeah, uh, he also got into the top 100. I think he's also uh, done uh, extremely well in terms of like, uh, getting himself to, uh, probably an Australian open major spot too. Uh, it, it was a very important week for him as well. Um, and in the final, he just, uh, finally stopped that Cinderella run that we're going to talk about in a second. Yeah. Bagnis is currently at 98 in the ATP race. <laughs> Uh, so he's certainly very much in the running for for an Australian Open major spot. Although I'm actually not sure if he's signed up for anything in in the upcoming weeks because a couple of weeks back I I remember seeing that he wasn't. Yeah, he plays Montevideo, so yeah, so he probably will have a good chance of getting there. Yeah, let's talk about Reis da Silva, our finalist, his first challenger final. He had never made a semifinal before on the challenger level. This week, he beat Fikovic, Alvarez, Zekic, and Varias in the semis, up 101 spots, number 347, breaking the top 400 for the first time in his career. What did you think of Reis da Silva? 
I actually had zero recollection of him making the quarterfinals in Buenos Aires and Corrientes earlier in the year. But that was the, the two events, I think, where Comesania and Navone played in the finals. They weren't uh, stacked, that's for sure. I think the only, like, the only challenger level win he had was over Roberto Quiroz uh, in, in these two events. And yet here he comes, altitude. Fikovic, Alvarez, Zekic, Varias, they, they've all done well on, uh, again, they've all done well when it's, uh, the ele- when the elevation is uh, high in the past. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he just comes out, beats them all, uh, super aggressive on return. The forehand is a force. He just, you know, the, the ball sometimes just explodes of that racket and you can't really do much. It makes total sense that he, uh, that he had this run when you, when you look at his game. But then again, how would you even predict this or how would you even expect this when he lost to Hanfman 6-1-6-1 in Rio de Janeiro? I wonder if it's in any way repeatable, uh, in normal conditions. I don't know. But then again, like, if, as I said, his run was actually super tough. We mentioned last week that Coquimbo is much stronger than Ambato, but when you look at the at the players that raised the Silva play, it's it's just insane. Alvarez, Fikovic, they they're both uh, done well on altitude even this year. Zekic was was like John Isner back back in uh, April, <laughs> going on altitude clay. And Varias, of course, has also won uh, altitude clay events in the past. So that's just uh, an absurd run. Uh, we're gonna see if it's uh, if it's going to be repeated in any way. But it's it's certainly one of the like if he took the title, it would be right up there with Fomin with Belier. And like uh, previous uh, runs, like Descote or Dragos Dima, really. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really at altitude uh, from my <laughs> Google okay. speaking. Uh, we can move over to a semi-finalist. Let's start with Varias, who beat Ogura and Pechi Pericat and Mejia all in straight sets before losing to Reis da Silva, his sixth challenger semi-final of the season. No titles. Uh, it's been a pretty disappointing season for Varias. What, what, what did you think of this weekend overall? I mean, has this been a pretty disappointing season? He broke the top 100 finally. Uh, he. I, I, I feel like I feel like those two finals that he had against Jab and and Khoinsky sort of make it a disappointing. Season. I know, but he had a few good major moments in terms of challenges, yeah. though. I think he's just uh, underperformed in the most important moments, and that's it. Uh, playing Hoinski, playing uh, Job, playing Reis da Silva here. Uh, yeah, he, he just hasn't been able to mentally step up to the challenge, uh, which is somewhat surprising, of course, especially looking at how he's performed on the major this year. But yeah, um, a decent run, but getting uh, you know, losing to Reis da Silva as well as the Brazilian has played this year will definitely uh, well be another hit to Varias's confidence. Yeah, and somebody who actually gained a lot of confidence this week was definitely Tiago Tirante making the semifinal here after uh, a seven-loss streak. This week he beat Guillen Mesa. Pano and my pick Facundo Mena to reach his, to reach his third challenger semifinal of the season. What did you think of Tirante? Yeah, last last year's champion really needed that. That's for sure. 
Uh, it, it's obvious that his game with the servant forehand will work pretty well on altitude. The, the backhand is not going to be as exposed as you, as you said, the, the win over Mena. Like that's, by the way, Tirante against Mena. That's like the quintessential altitude clay match. Uh, I don't know, just, just looking at it and, and watching it, it's uh, it's super fun. Uh, even though I'm usually not a big fan of altitude clay tennis, I think when Mena played Zekic, for example, in that final earlier in the year, I can't remember where it was, I think it was very boring. Uh, but uh, yeah, Tirante Mena is there's just something about this matchup, and it happened in the past as well. I think it also happened in the semis in Ambato uh, last year. Uh, so yeah, they, they've actually played three times, and all I mean, Zug does Zug qualify as, as altitude? I think he talked about it, the fact that it does earlier in the year, like when Stricker played. That's the one where Stricker beat Gulbis. I I think it qualified as an altitude as an altitude event. It's not as extreme, of course, as Ambato, but yeah, Tirante and Mena. Uh, even though Tirante leads the head-to-head three and zero, this is definitely a very exciting uh, event, uh, like a very exciting rivalry in terms of. Uh, altitude clay and I, I hope to see it more in the future and I, we probably will because the, yeah the, they're going to schedule to to play these events right for sure and Tirante's good form also extended to the doubles draw where he won the title alongside Santiago Faro de Gestaverna. Uh it was a second challenger title for either player did not drop a set this week they did a fun little dance together uh, after winning the title. And in the final, they beat the, the Locke brothers, for whom it was a second challenger final in 2022. Yeah, and over we go to Coquimbo, where you got your second point uh, of, of this week, uh, with Juan Manuel Serundolo beating Facundo Diaz Acosta 6 3, 3 6, 6 4. I picked Serundolo a week too early, uh, much like you did with, with Michael Jack. Serundolo's fifth challenger title of his career, second one this month. Uh, finally enough, uh, this week he beat Villanueva, Soto, uh, came back from a set down against Echeverri, who I believe was my pick, and then beat Agamemnon on a 6-2-6-2 before grinding out this this final over Diaz Acosta. Moved up 20 spots, number 136. What did you think of Serundolo? You have conveniently fa- failed to mention that I now have a lead in the uh, in the prediction. Mention it later, but yes, you you now lead the the picks competition twenty to nineteen. Yeah, and just like a month ago, maybe or maybe two months ago, I remember lo- being uh, you know in the uh, having a deficit of five points. So yeah, a, a truly champion performance, and I'm glad that right now you know we have like six events until uh, six weeks until the end of the year. I'm glad that there's gonna be some uh, you know. Uh, drama and tension uh, around it because when I was losing like 12-17 I, I didn't feel like it I, I, I just thought that it was going to be very straightforward until the end anyhow yeah uh, I think we're seeing a slightly more aggressive version of Juan Manuel Serundolo with the forehand of course not not really with the backhand uh, and, and it's uh, it's probably a, a, a way of raising his ceiling a bit uh, I actually commented on like Someone on Twitter commented uh, something at me yesterday about uh, Serendol's style and like what I think of it. And I, I will repeat something that I said there that uh, I think he's doing a very good job of like not changing the core of his style, but just doing micro adjustments to win points more easily. And that's probably the, the right way to go because some of the uniqueness that he has is what also makes him 
a more dangerous player. Um, 12-1 in his last 13 matches, pretty crazy. Two out of last three challengers won, only lost to Korea. Uh, and yeah, as you said, that 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 quarterfinal win against Echeverri was was probably key. For sure. Uh, as for Diaz Acosta, it was his third challenger final, all of them this season, two of them in Nico Kimbo, which is pretty fun. <laughs> Uh, this week, he beat Casanova 6-1 in the third. Then Hugo Caravay 6-3, 6-1. Chequinato 6-3, 6-3. Scato 6-2, 6-1. So after the first round, he was really ripping through this draw against some pretty impressive names. Uh, up 39 spots from 189, breaking the top 200. What did you think of Diaz Acosta? Yeah, I think when we were talking about his semifinal run in Seville, uh, we were sort of talking about the fact that, uh, well, in Europe, he hasn't really done that well so far, but he had some excellent results in South America. He's back in South America again, doing, doing so well again. Obviously, I, game-wise, I think he, he really has everything to be winning this these sort of events. Like, of course, not on a regular basis because the quality of the fields are just too strong, but just going deep in them and, and winning some of them, uh, yeah. Both, both the grinding and also the, the huge forehand that he has are really top notch. And I don't think he, he has anything, uh, to, to like fear of, to, to fear when he enters a match against someone like Ugo Carabelli, for example. Camilo is much less imposing or, or threatening. And yet he had a top 100 debut already. Yeah. And let's talk about our semi-finalists. Uh, semi-finalists. Oh, by Kato. the way, that, that's hilarious, but uh, Diaz Acosta is playing Hugo Carabelli again in Lima round one. I just noticed. Oh. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. I was talking about it because of their second round here. Yeah, the previous are starting already. Uh, Skatov made the semi-final here, beating Rincon in straights, then Kiker 6-4 in the third, Korea 6-4 in the third. Uh, he has made the semi-finals or better at the last four challenges he's played and five of the last six challenges he's played. What do you think of Skatov's uh, renaissance uh, and, and his week here? Yeah, uh, quite surprised that it happened. Uh, we see him hitting his forehand pretty well again, perhaps not as well as he did in Australia, but yeah, five out of six uh, consecutive uh, semifinals is just is just an insane achievement, really. Uh, a lot of much better players have never done that, probably. And and yeah, uh, just, just, just huge. Uh, although uh, he was obviously crushed by the Yasakosta in the semis, but still to beat Korea Kiker, that's 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 pretty good for him. And and yeah, uh, just keeps getting good results south america should be should be a pretty nice territory for him as well i see he's playing gonzalo bueno in lima that's pretty interesting mm -hmm. and their other semifinals was agamenone who beat tenti jacob paul and then came back from a set down against coyarini to which is fourth semifinal in 22 to three challengers one atp he's done you know decently well, I think to keep himself in that top 200 after his obviously massive rise last season. Uh, what did you think of uh, Akamenona here and his season overall? No, it's been sort of built on a couple of good results. Most of the time he loses early, uh, but he had that semi-final in Bendigo, semi-final here, uh, final, one Rome challenger, which is really like really stands out from what he was doing at that point in time and of course the umak semi-finals yeah 
after Umag, I think he was even close to everything in the top 100. Now his yeah. opportunity yeah. is gone, right? I, I think the opportunity has sort of passed and it's probably the closest he'll get. Uh, the I, the I, match against, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I can't really see him breaking the top 100 or getting past that 108. Uh, but yeah, at a moment in time, he was very, very close. Probably yeah. much closer than he ever had the, the talent for to to get to. But yeah, it, it's all about, as, as we talked about with, with Gomez and all these guys, it's all about maximizing your talent. You could swap uh, Franco Agamemnon with Zdenek Kolash into the sentence that you just said. Kolash was at some point very close to breaking the top 100 this year too. And I don't think he's getting there uh, again. Anyhow, uh, yeah, Agamemnon had a crazy win against Kolarini really. And that, that's, what, that's what I would remember from this week. It just happened so many times to Kolarini this year. It's, yeah. He, Kolarini led uh, six... Yeah, so sorry, and and they also play each other in in Lima in the first. Really? Um, oh wow! Indian, yeah, so, I so didn't know. That. Uh, by the way, I do have to mention that in Coquimbo, like the se- the quarterfinal lineup was just fantastic. If you enjoy South American clay tennis, it's just exactly what you want to see. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Agamemnone also did well in the doubles to win the title alongside Ednan Casanova, their first challenger title together, but they have four previous ITF titles. They've played each other played with each other a lot, going all the way back to 2015, since Agamemnone used to be used to represent Argentina. Uh, this week they beat Dravinsky and Powell in the final. Uh, Dravinsky and Powell obviously had that little bit of an imposture run. Last week with just one win to get in the final, but it is it counts back to back finals uh, for the pair. Uh, yeah, we can move on, move over to Hamburg, where we had a little bit of controversy uh, in the final. Alexander Richard beating Andri Laksonen uh, in the final seven five six five, uh, and Laksonen retired down match point. Um, which is very much frowned upon. I don't think there's any really valid reason to ever do that. It's either a petty personal reason or it is a betting reason it could potentially be to to avoid it, but very bizarre. Anyway, for Richard, his first challenger title after two previous losses. This week he beat Molokar, uh, then Andrew Paulson, 6-1-6 love, came back from a set down against Foretek to win 6-4 in the third, defeated Martineau 6-2 in the third, up 50 spots, number 166. What did you think of Richard? Yeah, uh, I hate the, the fact, like, the, I hate the way the match ended. Uh, Richard, with the, that indoor, like, with that easy power of his, he was bound to get an indoor title at the Challenger at some point. Of course, he missed out on four match points against Draper earlier in the year. Uh, so it's nice that he got it. I don't think he had peaks as high as Laxonen in the final. I also don't think he played during the week as well as Laxonen did. Uh, but well, um, he was definitely the clutch one here, which is uh, well, which is great for him after losing that previous one to Draper. Maybe it made him stronger for this one. Uh, when it comes to the retirement, yeah, as you said, uh, he either bet on himself, had someone bet on himself, or was just extremely salty that he was playing with an injury and decided not to even like even a double fault was class would would have been classier. You can actually make a double fault. Like look believable, right? It, it it's not a problem. 
just blast the first serve that's going to be long and, and net the second or or even yeah maybe maybe a, a long second is is easier if you're afraid of like risking the injury but even one, one, one there could be some situations where playing match points down with an injury is actually a risk to you it, it happens it's not mm-hmm. every single case is not going to be like that but in this one i mean laxon was playing with this injury for half a set he was getting treatment on every single changeover and then he just yeah richard is confused everyone is confused i'm watching it and rewinding to see where is the match point that i missed i realized what what's what happened and the the sad thing is that well I hope that Richard doesn't think of it this way. I hope he just treats it as a normal win. I hope it didn't get into his head, but it sort of takes away the spotlight from him. Like uh, I, I tweet about every single challenger final. I don't think I missed one this year. And one of the most popular tweets for sure was the one again uh, about like Sonnen retiring here. And it's, it's not going to be like, you know, people who more casually watch Challenger tennis or maybe just know, maybe just read about it on Twitter or something. They're, they're not going to remember that Alexander Richard won his first uh, Challenger title and what his story is. They're going to remember that Henry Lexonen retired match point down and literally that's it. And of course, it's it still brings some sort of publicity to the to Challenger tennis. That's That's pretty nice for us, but well... I yeah I I hate the fact that it's simply Richard cannot really enjoy it as he usually would. I hope you know mentally he just took it very well and yeah it, it's shameful whatever the reason was. There's just a hundred reasons why you shouldn't do that. Yeah, for for Laxon, it was his ninth challenger final, first one since uh, Orleans last season. Uh, this week he beat Vatutin, uh, Hassan seven six in the third. Then took out the top seed in, in Barrer and also beat Hase up 11 spots, number 171. He was defending a second round out of qualifying in Antwerp, which is why the move isn't that big, but definitely a huge run for him to, to stop this, this slide out of the top 200 that he seemed to be on uh, throughout this year. Very difficult uh, season for him. And this this thing that he did sort of takes away any any goodwill or or good feeling about uh, this run for him because because yeah I I don't feel happy for him in this moment uh, but yeah what did you think of Laxon this week yeah absolutely he he had like entered God mode against Hasse and Barer. Uh, maybe if it wasn't for like uh, getting Barrer from 4-0 to 4-3 in the second set but other than that he was in absolute god mode he obviously really needed that uh, this year uh, you'd think that it helped his confidence but after he got broken serving at 5-4 in the first set against Richard he was just uh, definitely disheartened a bit Yeah, it broke him and um, well as you see I, I totally agree like it leaves a really sour taste when it comes to Laxonen. He had some controversial uh, like issues in the past, like the the fact that him and Vavrinka uh, aren't ever playing Davis Cup anymore uh, together because Vavrinka said like he was like disrespectful, they didn't care, and uh, you know th- th- there were some incidents. I guess of course he has that robotic, uh, very monotonous, <laughs> very very bland. Uh, well, he, he doesn't show much of his personality, so you also don't really know it. Uh, but this is just, yeah, it, it, it certainly not doesn't help 
you know, people who were like, yeah, I, I like Laxonen's game, but you know, he's I'm not a fan. They're they're probably going to be <laughs> a little bit. Uh, well, I'm not even sure what what word I want to use. Not no no no. But yeah, I I agree that it makes me not really feel happy for him after this final. Yeah, as far as the finalists, we had Robin Hasse. Uh, beating Kirkin and then Ferreira Silva, 7-6 in the third, Julian Lenz, 7-6 in the third. Only a second challenger semifinal this season after his run to the Shimken final. Uh, maybe staving off a singles retirement for, for one more year or something. Uh, although it really feels like with his doubles ranking, he should be mostly a double specialist at this point. But he, he keeps showing up for these challengers. What did you think of Hasse this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, he he's even pretty close to getting into Australian Open qualifying right now. Like one, two, one or two more runs like that, and and it's possible. The 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 indoor courts in Hamburg are pretty fast, I think, and and that's probably uh, that that probably contributed a lot to his run. That's what we saw in Shimkent as well, right? That that when his serve is clicking, he can he can still be a challenger player in faster conditions for sure. Yeah, and their other semifinalist was Matteo Martino, started in qualifying, beating Stevenson and Verbensky. In the main draw, he started with a wild win over Celibilek, 2-6, 7-6, 7-6. Also won a tight match over Marco Topo, 7-5 in the third, took out Yella Sells in straight sets to make his first career challenger semifinal, only the second time he had reached the quarterfinals on this level. What did you think of Martino? Yeah, I think for a while he sort of had a better game than uh, than it seemed. Uh, definitely a, a guy who, like seeing him in the rankings at 450, didn't never really sat right with me. Uh, so nice that he got this win, although it was slightly accidental, as you said, that Chalik Bilek match, uh, Topolet, I think 5-2 or 5-3 in the, in the third set as well. Uh, then, then Martino had a very fine win over Yele Sels, of course, in, in, in Yele Sels' current form. That was, that was pretty huge for him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And in the doubles, we had Treat Huey and Max Schoener win their first challenger title together after two uh, previous finals. They did not drop a set this week. In the final, they defeated Dustin Brown and, Lee, and Julian Lenz, who are in their second challenger final to, uh, together this season. And we can go over to match of the week and upset of the week. Where would you like to start? Um, maybe let's start with the match. I think I'm going to choose the Vilnius final. Not that it was the highest quality match I watched all week, uh, but just watching it live, the drama in the third set, the fight from Berucci, the crowd getting into it. It was excellent. I remember because I, I got to the, uh, well, to the stadium. It's not a stadium, but you know, um, uh, the, the court. And I was watching Hamburg on my laptop and Bellucci lost the first set in the, in, uh, in like, I don't know, half an hour was looking so fatigued. And I was like, uh, oh no, that the final is going to end very quickly. And I'm going to have to stay here and watch Hamburg. Or am I going to go home? I don't know. And then it ended up that the final in Vilnius was actually so much longer than Hamburg and so dramatic. And I'm very glad that I was there. Yeah, for me, I have gone for also a match from Vilnius, Lukasz Klein uh, against Alistair Gray in the first round. It's a tiebreaker. You you know, you, you, you see some some good points from Klein, you see some worse points from Klein, and as I said, very tight throughout the entire uh, decider. Uh, but yeah, Klein was was ultimately the, the quite quite a bit better player in the, the tiebreak there. 
that was probably going to be my pick if uh, if not for Bellucci Ilkel. Unless I would have picked something from another event, maybe Serundolo Echeverry. Yeah, and what's your upset of the week? My upset of the week, I've gone for Durasovic over Mahach. Uh, 6376. Yeah, I mean, Mahach's Ma- 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 issues. Obviously, these players are playing very well against him when he loses, but it's it's a bit disappointing. Now, three in a row, Briand, uh, Rehberg, and Durasovic. That is rough. Uh, yeah. you- I think look, I'm looking at the bookies right now, and I think they went for, with Reis da Silva Varias. But uh, I would, yeah, after the, these three wins that the Brazilian already had, I wasn't really uh, you know, feeling like it would be that much of an upset. I think I will just follow you there on uh, on Dorasovic over Mahaj. I agree that both, like all three, Reberg, uh, Briant, Durasovic, they played like one of the best matches of their lives. Uh, but still, it doesn't really explain it. Uh, you even even if both striking, like game wise, it makes sense to me that Mahaj would struggle with Durasovic when the Norwegian is hitting well, but still uh, to have him execute the game at an, a level good enough to claim it in two, not facing any breakpoints. Yeah, I think that was that was absolutely huge. Uh, another choice for me, I think, would be Vidal Azorin over Olivo. Uh, if you if you remember, I was uh, I was thinking that I shouldn't choose Olivo because uh, he well shouldn't choose Echeverry as my pick because he could play Olivo in round two, and then yeah Vidal Azorin just comes out of nowhere and beats him seven five in the third, and then takes four games of Echeverry. So. All right, with her previews, uh, as we said, you're leading twenty to nineteen, uh, heading into it. I haven't got a point since I believe Chechin. Where I got the <laughs> so I really need to step up my game here. Uh, and we start with Brest, where uh, the top seed is Benjamin Bonzi. Uh, in that first quarter, we have also Arold Mayo, Benoit Pair, uh, Yellow Cells is the fifth seed. In the second quarter, we could have a rematch from last week between Andre Laxman and Gregor Barrer. They could meet in the second round potentially. We also have a, a French derby between Locoli and Simon. Uh, Nadi also comes in looking for a bit of redemption after after last week. Third section we have Hugo Grenier uh, and you know three qualifiers in here. Manuel Guinard plays to Tondro Gay, uh, and in the fourth quarter we have some interesting names: Nuno Borges. Uh, we have Luca Van Asch, Otto Vitanen, uh, also another French derby between Gabriel Debreu and Jeffrey Blancano. In the qualifiers uh, we have. Some players like Kenny Deschepper playing Jürgen Briand, so one of them will be in here. Durasovic faces Adukovic. Donskoy could make it in. Zhukaev. In the doubles, we have... Oh, we actually have Baez in the doubles, which is pretty interesting. Dumbia and Ebu are back together. Um, Dumbia, I believe, was, was injured for, for a good part of this season. Uh, Borges and Cabral are playing together. Uh, Durasovic and Vitan and also... Sander, Arendt, and Fragos Kugor. So, yeah, interesting teams all around. But back to the singles. What did you th- what, what do you think of this draw and who are you going for here? I heard that, that you, you said you, we have bias in the doubles, right? And I understood yeah. that we have bias. And I was looking for Sebastian Bias oh, no. in the doubles at Brest. <laughs> and then I just, yeah, after scanning the draw for like half a minute, I realized what, what was happening. 
Uh, anyhow, yeah, uh, I ju I'll just have to mention though, I wasn't really looking at the qualifying matches before because, well, yesterday I was driving all day, but a match that I really want to see today is Jukaya Guaymat Weyenburg. That's that sounds very exciting for me. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, the Frenchman plays indoors though. Uh, it is indoors though, right? Is it? I think it is, uh, right? It used yes. to be. It, it, Brest definitely used to be indoors. So, um, I, I, I haven't, as I said, I haven't been able to follow the quality action at all yesterday. Anyhow, uh, looking at the draw, who do I want to pick here? Of course, Bonzi is always a good option. Uh, looking at an indoor challenger, I actually thought I wasn't gonna pick him because he's been a little bit. You know, he hasn't been that impressive uh -huh. on the main tour recently. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's perfect for sure. I mean, th this whole th this whole period, like, uh, like since grass, it's been quite tough. He has one quarter in Winston Salem, made the second round in the U.S. Open, but literally his wins only came over Edmund Monteiro and two wins over Hugo Umber. He lost to Monteiro in in Gijón four games against Deminor. It's it's quite disappointing recently. Yes, but then when you look at the draw, there's really not many other contenders. Uh, you were, by the way, talking about Laksonen. I don't see him in the draw. Laksonen, uh, he's he he, he plays. Yeah, yes, oh, yeah. he is in the draw. Why is he in the draw? I I don't know. In the PDF, he is here. Maybe he pulled out. Oh, okay. yeah. There, yeah, there's there's seven qualifying spots. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I believe Laksonen has pulled out actually. Um, so Barrer is for sure one of the options. And I think perhaps the strongest player other than Bonzi. Uh, I honestly was even thinking of maybe Gabriel De Bru. It's crazy, but he has a good section. Uh, Nuno Borges indoors, not really. Yeah, it's it's between Bonzi and Barrer for me. Now it's just a question of whose draw I trust more. I think I trust Bonzi's draw more, but then again, Barrer has played pretty well in recent weeks, even if he was dispatched by Alexonen. I think I'm going to go with Bonzi. I think Barrer has too many matches like uh, where, where he just doesn't really play his best tennis at all. And Bonzi, you know, he's the challenger king. Maybe he'll prove it again. I don't know. Yeah, but the recent weeks have definitely not been encouraging for, for Bonzi. Yeah, I was trying to throw you off the scent. I've also gone for Benjamin Bonzi. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, as, as you said, the, the main tour uh, performances have not been very recently, but this draw, I think, is very pleasant for him um, until the, the semifinals. And yeah, I mean, his his level on the on the challenger tour, it's 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 incredible. Uh, and even when he when he hasn't been doing great on the on the main tour, we saw him come into Cherbourg, win the title. We saw him come into Aix-en-Provence and win the title. So I don't see a reason why he couldn't do it again this time in Brest. All right, my second um, event that I have on my list here is Playford, uh, which is actually being played as we speak. I don't think they've. I don't think they've played any main draw matches though. Yeah, just qualifying. Just qualifying today, so that's actually perfect for us. Yeah. All right. We, we the the qualifiers are in, in the draw, but we, we will tell you who they're after. Um, top seed here, Jordan Thompson. Uh, pretty interesting. Some other names that we have in the first section. Leon Noguchi is the sixth seed. 
There's such Tristan Schoolkate, who I believe we, we talked about earlier yeah. in the season. Uh, second section, we have Litu playing uh, Ruben Statham. Uh, Omar Jessica here as well. He could be a contender. Third section, Alexander Vukic is here in, in a pretty interesting potential second round with Max Purcell. Dane Sweeney is the, is the seventh seed, also Mokun Sasikuman. Um, fourth section, we have James Duckworth playing Gunes Faran. Uh, we also have Alex Bolt here with a wild card. Who I yeah I've I've not thought about Alex Bolt in a while, so I actually don't know when when the last time he's, he's well, he played. he won a twenty five k a couple weeks back, and that was the first time he played since Miami. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, because I I believe he wasn't he like traveling with Nick Kyrgios or something like that. Or, oh, I don't know. That? I don't know. Can't, can't remember. Anyway, he's he's here playing uh, Marek Gengel. Also, we have Rinki Hijikata playing Felix Sekulic. Um, the qualifiers that we have, we have Luke Saville who qualified, Ajit Rai, Blake Mott, uh, Yusuke Takahashi, and Callum Pergil um, in the doubles. We have Gingel and Su as the top seeds, which is quite rough. Max Purcell plays with Dane. Uh, Luke Saville and Jordan Thompson are are matching up together, to, uh, and they actually face Jessica and McCabe. So there, there's a pretty interesting first round matchup here. Uh, Dane Sweeney plays with Lee too, and they face Alex Bolt and Nikki Hijikata. So actually, a, a, a decent enough draw. I did not expect it to be that good, but seeing Gengelixu as the top seeds. But back to the main draw. What do you think of it, and who do you think is going to win this event? Yeah, obviously the event isn't great. Uh, there's a couple of names who can win it, but there's also tons of players who would you would be shocked <laughs> to see claim a challenger title. Uh, I think the main draw cutoff is actually lower, uh, well, or higher <laughs> in a way, higher I guess, uh, than at in the qualifying of the four other challengers that we have this week, which is oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty crazy. Uh, I hate the fact that guys like McCabe or Sekulic got, got such tough first round draws. Maybe even Edward Winter uh, getting Sweeney. That's that's insane too. In general, there's a lot of spots in the draw where it seems like the quarterfinal is already set, like two Yasika. How do we stop them from making the quarters here? Like maybe Dane Kelly can beat them. I don't know. Uh, Kelly could actually, could actually beat Lee too. I can, I can see that. Uh, no, it's very hard to just resist going Jordan Thompson here because even if McCabe is pretty talented, I don't think he's there yet. And yeah, Thompson is just, if he's just his usual, very solid self, I know, grinding and chipping his way to victory, I'm not sure who will stop him here. Uh, I don't think guys like Duckworth has a pretty tough draw compared to most people because he can play Hijikata or Sekulic in, in the quarters. He can play Bolt in the second. He can play, he plays Gunnarsvaran in the first. So I don't really like Duckworth's draw. Um, Alex Bolt, yeah, he, he won that 25k in, uh, I can't remember what was the name of the city, uh, but uh, he saved five match points against Sekulic there, uh, which is, which is quite interesting. And yeah. I, I I do I think I have to choose Jordan Thompson. I'm not really a fan of that pick. It's just way too simple. But looking at the draw, I just can't really convince myself to do to go otherwise. Even if McCabe and Schoolkate are very decent prospects, I don't think they can beat Thompson at this point in time. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I feel like I'll have to match you here. Uh, the, the the Thompson draw is just a, a lot easier than, than the Duckworth draw. Uh, I was looking at Jessica, but apparently he he has back-to-back first-round losses on, on the ITF level, so that doesn't instill a lot of confidence into me here. And also would have to face Lee too. Uh, Vukic, I, I definitely don't trust in this moment. Hijikata would have to play Duckworth, so... Thompson is the is the obvious pick here, and we'll we'll both take it. We're so ballsy here. Like two events in, we we've both picked the toxics, but it's sweet. Me, I, you know? I, 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 I I feel like the pressure is on now to to get a little bit wilder going forward. Uh, but yeah, speaking of wilder, we go over to Las Vegas, uh, where Dennis Kudla is a top seed. Uh, pretty exciting section here right away because he could have Yunjing Shang in the second round. He could have Ben Shelton in the quarters who play Valentin Vachero. Uh, so right away, a lot of excitement in that first quarter. I mean, Vashik Pospisil as the third seed. Uh, in his section, we have uh, Kovacevic playing Emilio Nava in the first round. So that's pretty exciting. Potentially facing Brandon Holt, uh, whoever wins that match. Uh, Stefan Kozlov faces Cannon Kingsley uh, in the match where I believe... I, I mean, I, I see Kingsley as probably the favorite here yeah. in that match. Uh, Nanda plays Mejia. Mena plays Galerno here. Uh, uh, final section, Steve Johnson is the second seed playing Gastel Eliash. Uh, more, more excitement in this section also with Gabriel Diallo, plays Coaco. Uh, so yeah, a, a good good uh, draw, I think, uh, for for North American event. In the qualies, we could have Zachary Svaida, who plays only Kumar. Uh, Zeke Clark, who played uh, Alfredo Perez. Uh, they reached the challenger final together. A couple of weeks ago, Donald Young could could be made in the main draw here. He plays Simon Carr. Tennis Sandgren could also make it. Uh, and in the doubles, we have Andre Goranson and Ben McLaughlin teaming up together. We also have Holt and Svida, Cash and Patton are here together. The Log Brothers. Uh, Kozlov plays doubles with Alexander Kozbinov, which is pretty interesting. Uh, Clark plays, plays with Kovacevic. Uh, Blumberg plays with Shelton, uh, and we also have Galloway and Hachverdugo and Lawson and Sitak. So a lot of lot of very interesting teams for sure. But going back to the main draw, who are you going with for the title here? Hmm. Yeah, I, I also like this draw. I'm I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, Steve Johnson is that a possibility? I don't know. Uh, Diallo or Quaco could be very tough for him, or even Jab. Uh, but he's certainly one of the guys that look like he they could potentially win it. Uh, mostly as he, you know, the bottom half is pretty is pretty weak in general. I think the the top is much stronger. Uh, what has Steve Johnson been doing recently is uh, a bit of a mystery to me. <laughs> I do not uh, at this point in time remember much. I, I think he played like Tokyo, right, or something like that. He played Tokyo lost to Shapovalov. And then China and Seoul. I don't know, because I'm trying to convince myself to pick Steve Johnson here. But in the top half, there's so many good names like Kudla, Shelton, Pospisil, Nava, Kovacevic. How do I pick out of this? Uh, I was pretty convinced that I was going to pick Ben Shelton earlier. But, you know, if he gets to play something like Vashro, Escobedo, Kudla, uh, then Pospisil or Kovacevic, that's not easy at all. I think I'm actually going to go with Steve Johnson. 
that bottom half is just much weaker if he can play himself into form somehow it's possible especially the third quarter i think uh other than galarno maybe kingsley there's just not much there so yeah i i am going to go with steve johnson yeah, and I'm very glad that you're going with Steve Johnson. We're not going to match on this one. I really don't like his form here. Um, the, the the Diallo or Quaco in in the in the quarters I think scares me. Uh, obviously, the the third quarter is the weakest one. But yeah, I'm I'm going to go for a different player here. I'm going with Vasek Pospisil. Uh, really like his first two rounds. Obviously, there's two qualifiers in there and Fansalov. So. Um, he he should be making it through there. He won this event back in 2019. Um, yeah, I obviously picking anybody out of the top half is, is tough because they will have to face good players to to make it to the final. Uh, but I feel like Pospisil is among those with the with the best chance to make it out of there. All right, and we go over to Lima. Uh, uh, switch it up on the clay. With the top seed Federico Coria, uh, in that section we also have that that match you talked about. Ugo, Ugo Karabay playing Diaz Acosta. Uh, they face off in the first Wait, round. Actually, uh, it looks like Diaz Acosta has also withdrawn, and oh. I think Serundolo too. Oh wow! Okay, has has Serundolo been replaced with a different seed, or is it just a, a lucky loser? I wish I could so tell not... you. Uh, I think it's a lucky loser. I'm not sure anymore, though. I I do remember reading this on Twitter yesterday, though, that they both withdrew. So yeah. So earlier we, uh, we yeah, I made I made a mistake. Yeah, and it looks like there's in the draw that I'm seeing there are how many qualifiers once again? Uh, eight. Yeah. So that would that would account for both of them. Okay. All right. Uh, so Ukurve actually faces a lucky loser, Nandia da Costa. Uh, in the second section, Daniel Atmaier plays Nicolas Kiker. We have a, a rematch there between Coyarini and Agamenone. Uh, Casanova and Rodriguez Tavena have played doubles earlier this season. They face off in the first round. Skatov plays Bueno. Uh, third section, we have Cecchinato. He has Jesper de Jong in the first round. We also have Tirante here. Uh, obviously, for for whom the draw opens up now with Serundolo's withdrawal, uh, as he would have to face him in the second round. And in the final section, we have Echeverri surrounded by three qualifiers. Uh, then we have Varias playing Meltzer, uh, Meligeni Alves playing Comesane. In the qualifying, um, we have some interesting names. We, we, we have Zekic, Seboshfield, Buruchaga, Milojevic, uh, Koinski is very interesting, Navone, Olivieri. So actually the, the qualifiers here could be pretty impactful. Uh, in the doubles, Balaji and Nedun Cezian, uh face Koinski and Drevietski, which is a pretty interesting team in that first round. Uh, we also have Diaz Acosta with Martinez. Jesper de Jong plays with Max Hokus. Uh, Andrauzzi and Duran team up once again. They play Federico Correa and Nipovsek Puches. Arias and Zebaios here as well. Casanova and Rodriguez Seven are playing doubles here again. Um, so they, they play each other in the first round too. Going back to the main draw, who do you like here? Hmm. 
Yeah, it, it, it's rough. As you said, there are a lot of qualifiers who could actually do well here. Whoever wins Navona and Pachi Perry cards, you know, guys like Zekic, uh, Milojevic, uh, Max Hokes, this is this is going to be so exciting, actually. he I think he won a match very easily yesterday. Today he plays Gilan Meza, so probably shouldn't struggle either. Uh, he's still on a crazy win streak, right? That's That will be... 20 what in a row he won four 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 itf events i think he won four itf events in a row so that's going to be 21 by now and uh obviously a big favorite today where that uh, where does he land in the draw that's a big deal because if korea plays one of the qualifiers like hoinski or hokes that's going to be rough for him i don't know if hoinski beats buruchaga but still even buruchaga is is not easy and then again you have some sections like maybe the third quarter where you could land and get a pretty decent draw but actually all the qualifiers you can play Echeverry, you can play another qualifier and then Echeverry, <laughs> you can play race da silva which i guess is the premium draw i suppose but Maybe raise da Silva after after doing well in Ambato will also go go far in Lima. I don't know. It, it it's really tough. Uh, by the way, Rodrigo Varias was in uh, qualifying. I suppose that who that's Juan Pablo's brother uh, with a wild card. So uh, I, you would think so. I I haven't I haven't checked that. I don't know if it's even on the internet anyway. It's fifteen. Uh, sixteen. Sorry, fifteen or sixteen. Would make sense, so right? And yeah, I, when when I start talking about random stuff, it usually means that I'm lost for. Uh, I, I'm struggling to find a decent peak. Uh, the second section is pretty weak. Like you could easily see Skatov making the semis again. Six out and go six out of seven. Uh, even the top half isn't that. Maybe, maybe even the bottom is stronger. Like with guys Cecchinato, Arias, Echeverry. I think I'm going to go with Thomas Martin Echeverry. He played very fine tennis last week. Just lost that tight one to Serundolo. Maybe would have won the title if not for that. He plays three qualifiers, which again, like three qualifiers, a qualifier and then another qualifier. And again, it could be very tough. If he gets to play no, Hokes Hoinski, I'm not sure if he pulls off, pulls it off. But if he gets to play some of the weaker guys, it's a good draw. And yeah, I'm just going to trust Echeverry, although it's very hard to pick anyone in this draw, really. Yeah, as as you said, it, it is tough picking here. Um, yeah, Echeverry, I'm, I'm a bit scared away by by uh, Varias and, and Cecchinato. In, in that section with him, uh, in like like in the half with him. So as you said, the second section is quite weak. So I think I'll be picking out of the, out of the top section to take advantage of it. And I'm going to go with Ugu Karabey. Uh, obviously, he doesn't have to play Diaz Acosta anymore, which is a pretty big bonus. Uh, so the lucky loser or qualifier uh, made the final here uh, last season in a pretty good run. The the, the format now isn't amazing. Uh, so it's I'm, I'm not super confident about this bit, but I'm, I'm going to go with Ugo Karabelli here. I'm going to make a prediction. If Ugo Karabelli draws Hoinski or Hokes in the opening round, he's going to lose. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty good draw to have a couple of lucky losers in there because uh, because there are some interesting matchups. So so to get potentially both players from these oh, yeah. qualifying would be pretty good if uh, so i guess it would be best if mpechi pericard beats navona for example and i don't know 
say both will beat Zekic, I guess. But then, then, then there's a huge chance that both get in. Yeah, but then we would have to have Sebosh in the in the main. Yeah, that, that that that's why I was thinking of how to put it. Yeah. Maybe maybe if Buruchaga beats Choinski too, and then out of the lucky loser draw, it's Choinski and well, it's Zekic beats uh, Sebofield, and then Choinski and Navone get in as lucky losers. That would be the best option. Mm-hmm. And we go over to Ortise where where we finished today. Uh, top seed Tomas Machac once again fighting for that for that top 100 uh, ranking. He will have a tough though. He starts against the qualifier, but then he could have Mattia Bellucci in the second round. We'll see how fit the Italian is uh, by the time he gets here. He shouldn't uh, play this. A, yeah, <laughs> he, he isn't withdrawn on on the on the PDF as I see it right yeah, now. Yeah, he. I don't see him withdrawn either. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a pretty interesting first round between Marojan and Babasori. Uh, Luca Nardi is here with a wild card as, as the third seed could face uh, Peter Goyovchik in the second round. Who this has been a rough year for Goyovchik, but he has been a very good challenger player previously in his career. So we'll, we'll see if he has anything left. If he can show up anywhere, it is probably on European indoor hard courts. Uh, then we also have Lukas Klein. He faces Bastic and uh, could, could face Fatic also in the in the second round. So you could have back-to-back Bostians there. Uh, a third section, we have Yannick Hanfman playing Andras Seppi in Seppi's final uh, match of his career or final tournament. He, he could win and then go on forward. Uh, we also have Cepieri here, uh, could play Maestrelli or Travaglia in the, in the second round. Final section, Niklas Hari. Uh, plays Lukas Rosol. Winner plays Marco Trujetti, which it's interesting to me that, that, that Hari and, and Trujetti are, are here uh, rather than uh, the, the South American event in, in Lima. You also have Koboli playing Justino, could face uh, Richard in the, in the second round as well. In the qualifying, uh, we have some names here. We have, you know, Kopil Paulson, Horansky plays, plays uh, Atmane. Uh, Kachmazov is here, Bachinger is here, um, but yeah, it shouldn't be anybody too impactful from the qualities. In the doubles, we have Denis Mochanov teaming up with Aysam Olha Kureshi, which is pretty interesting. Um, Koboli and Maestrelli play together, Arnaud and Weisborn, champions from last week. Uh, I could mix it up here again. Uh, Yebavi and, pa- and, and Pavlasek play together. They've been very good this season. Uh, so have Brown and Vavasori who play here and will actually face Tomasz Machac in the first round, which is pretty fun. He plays with David Poliak. Uh, back to the main draw, though. Who are you going for here? Very random, but I think Marco Drunheliti hasn't played in South America since 2019. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think it is probably... You know, that's probably not the only factor. I think he just lives probably in Spain or somewhere. Yeah, but... he, he, he does live in Europe, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, but I think it's also related to that, uh, you know, fixing controversy where he led to uh, Korea, Kiker and someone else, can't remember the, the, the guy's name, uh, you know, being investigated and eventually punished. And yeah, the, the, I think he was ostracized a lot there. So maybe, maybe that's also related to that. Uh, anyhow. Uh, as you said, uh, Seppi was also initially supposed to play doubles with Verdasco, but well, you've drew. Yeah, so he was. Yeah, I guess I guess it's uh, 
easier now, you know, to just uh, talk about his retirement because you don't have to, you don't have to wait for, unless he takes an alternate spot, who knows? Anyway, mm. uh, what am I going to go for here? I have no clue. Uh, yeah, Belucci, I don't think he should be playing this. If he plays this, he probably doesn't go far anyway. Mahach has a pretty good draw. Uh, I'm not sure if I trust him enough though right now. Um, I wonder how Maroshan is going to look on these super fast indoor courts because if, uh, in case someone doesn't remember, Ortisei is like, yeah, it, it's Ismaning level. Uh, it's been at least in, in recent years. I don't think indoor surfaces are changed like that frequently. So uh, Klein is obviously an option. Uh, he should like the courts. Although, is he that good on, on when it's super fast? I'm not actually sure. I think he likes a bit of time on the ball too. Um... What else? What else can you do? go for here? I don't know. Hanfman playing Seppi. I think maybe Seppi could have like a win or two in him. Who knows? Uh, he used to love these, these cards in Ortisa. He won a couple of challengers on them in like 2012, 2013. Russell Jari. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've picked two top seeds so far and I've picked two second seeds. So yeah, I, I sort of could go for either of these guys, but I don't want to. I'm gonna go with a very no. I mean, Lucas. Look, I wanted to go with Luca Nardi, but it just makes no sense on the on these courts. I think uh, he plays Goyovchik. I think when it's so fast, he can just overpower him, and it, it's gonna be dangerous. I don't think Nardi is winning this event. He could do well. But yeah, I, 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 I'm lost, and I'm gonna go with Lucas Klein. I'm not happy with that pick, really, but it's possible that he wins this. But there are a lot of good guys here, and yeah, the the specifics of the of the courts, the dynamics of play, are making it very hard for me to decide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this being such a fast event and there not being an, an obvious pick here is quite tough. Uh, I'm not going to match you on on Klein here. I think instead I'll take uh, Tomasz Machac. Oh, see, the, the the draw isn't isn't horrible for him, especially if Bellucci is still tired from last week. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like you should, you should make it to the semis pretty pretty easily. Although it's, it's that's not been the case with them recently, so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. And yeah, la- last week he had to. Last week he had a very easy draw to make the semis as well. <laughs> Uh, even the final, I think we talked about it. Uh, anyhow, yeah, that's that's going to be it for this week. Thank you for being here. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be back in a week to discuss Ortisei, Playfort, Las Vegas, Lima and Brest. Bye.